Father, bless you for your patience, for your persistence, for your love that is never tired of seeking to woo us into your arms and draw us into your purposes. We're so distorted that we anticipate that to hear you is to be judged by you, is to be confined by you. And we pray that your spirit this morning would uh, create a greater anticipation in us, a greater desire and resolve in us to, to press into you and say, Lord, here I am. Please speak. That I might live in a way that will please you and bring life to others as well. So we ask you to speak now to us and give us ears to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we heard last, a couple of weeks ago from David Shadbolt when he was here during our workshop that God speaks and he speaks in all kinds of ways. In fact, Michelle heard him speak through a mic stand, right? And he speaks uh, through pictures, he speaks through words, he speaks through people, he speaks through circumstances, he speaks uh, through pretty much anything. In fact, if you go through the scriptures, you know Don well, he speaks through donkeys and he speaks through roosters. He'll use anything. So, if God is so talkative, why aren't we more aware of what he's got to say? Do you think? Or are we like these guilty children that just make excuses because we're so scared of what we might hear that we never risk hearing? So, if God is speaking and somebody doesn't hear, it's a sign of deafness or death. Because corpses don't hear either, unless Jesus speaks to them and raises them from the dead. What happened when you and I were born, apart from joy to the world? <laughs> what happened when we were born? We got into, you know, we, we came into the world and... Um, People held us and for some of us they gurgled over us and said, oh sweet. For others they were just silent. <laughs> said, what is this? Um, but they basically <laughs> delighted in your birth, they delighted in your coming, they, and you began to be surrounded by sounds. And those sounds, some of them were familiar. And this is all very, very um, vague. But I don't have to go through the whole process of how a baby grows up and begins to learn how to hear and then how to speak. And in every physical, natural realm, we have a spiritual truth. It's just always that way. And so, hearing God is not complicated. It's, you start about hearing God by saying, well, he makes sounds. And therefore, it's making sense of the sounds that is uh, the challenge. But the problem, I think, for many of us, and I think you would agree with us, me, is that we have grown up in a Christian culture that has kept you with pablum and in diapers all your life. If you hear a vague sound or you say, well, God speaks through that person, but he doesn't speak to me or through me. 
It's a sign of abuse. It's a sign of absolute stupidity. On the spiritual level, it's like people walking around and they don't speak and they don't hear. And you go, why? And the reason is because we need to be nurtured into hearing for ourselves. And the one really important factor for Jericho Road and for what we've just read out of Peter is that a very core thing that we have to come to terms with is uh, that we are responsible for responding. That uh, if we're not hearing and if we're not beginning to hear, it's probably choices we've made as well as all the bad things that have happened around us. So the great invitation this morning is let's make a choice. Do you want to be a victim or do you want to actually be a participant and contribute to the things of God? A victim will blame everybody else for the reasons why I'm not and a a participant and contributor will basically say, yeah, life was pretty messy, but from this moment forward, I'm going to choose to move forward and be open to God and I'm going to take responsibility for that. Because I'm not taking responsibility for you. For sure. Got my hands full with myself. That's why when born again means, born again means being born into the sound of God. Where I begin to hear the sound of God. And what I didn't hear before, I begin to hear. Why? Because I've been alerted to the fact that if you listen, you will hear. And Jesus said that and we heard that from David my sheep hear my voice. So, it's not frightening, it's exciting. It's basically like a child. They gurgle, they make funny noises and then they gradually begin to make real sounds and then they gradually begin to start communicating. It's the same thing in the spiritual world. So, how does... What happened to that PowerPoint? Is that around somewhere? PowerPoint. Brad's somewhere, you know. Um, I just want to show you something about listening to God. Okay, so I just, if I press that, that work, what, what happens now? Why isn't that working? This was meant to be so cool. Okay, thank you. This one on the left? Okay. You can't hear God without relationship. And one of the things, what I'm, what I'm wanting to just give four headings. Guess what they are? H-E-A-R. But it's backwards. Because when we're dealing with God, everything gets turned around. One of the things God's really, really clearly, I think, saying to us, I know he's saying to us, is... I'm really, 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 really bored with our conversation. Because they all start with you. Have you ever met people who are just self-absorbed and all they do, how are you? And you just hear about them and they never say, how are you? Well, God, I think, is in that, that he's having a problem with us. And he says he's really tired of the shopping list, the boring prayers, the kind of, God, please help, please help, because he says you don't even listen. It's not accusing, it's really saying, let's try this again and I'll start speaking and you respond. And maybe we can do a little bit more. Isn't that exciting? 
You look excited. You look actually really full of anticipation and excitement and thrill. And, you know, life is never going to be the same. I'm glad to see that. So, to hear God, you start with a relationship. Relationship with God in Jesus. It then goes on to action, which is a response. It's something to do. And it then goes on to experience. And then it goes on to humility. And what that looks like, I, I could spend all day on all of this stuff, is basically for somebody who has said yes to Jesus, which is what Peter was doing when Jesus said, follow me, God takes over the driving seat. It's a novel idea. Where he says, I'm now God, which is really like you saying to a baby, I'm your parent, which is what Brad's struggling to do with Vika. And, uh, yeah. So, that's when, you beca- when you're born again, that's you and God. Stand up, uh, Brad, and show us, me, us and God. Okay, Brad is God, and Vika is you. On whatever you're eating there, sucking your fingers and making a noise. And it looks sweet for a while, but eventually, if Brad was standing up there in ten years' time and said, this is Vika, and Vika was still that size, you would go, there's a problem. And spiritually, draw your own conclusion. Thank you very much. That was a stunning performance. So, it's not seen very clearly here, but basically there are wheels on this thing, and the relationship is one, the action is another, experience is another, and humility is another. These are what will drive the life that is lived with God speaking. There's also a community involvement, because when God speaks, we need to check out what we hear. We learn by checking out. Because some of us make sounds like that and we think it's profound. And you go, no, that's just learning. So humility is really important. Because humility says, I am in a place where I'm learning to learn. And that was just for Brad. When you get that kind of dynamic, you'll start getting power working in life and working in a community. I'm just being very, very simple. So I thought it might be useful to to track with Peter for a while and find out how Peter learned to listen. Because if you want encouragement, if God can teach Peter to, to listen, there ain't no problem with us. And remember when, so I'm just going to skim through some points of Peter's life with Jesus uh, and start at, start at that point, which is really important. If we're going to listen to God and know God, the first place we start is with Jesus. Is with uh, Jesus coming to us and saying, follow me. Now, in John... Chapter 1, verse 35. Andrew, Peter's brother, Simon Peter's brother, comes to fetch John. I mean, comes to fetch Peter. And Andrew's the one who's met with Jesus, and he comes to Peter and he, say, and he says, I've met this guy, Jesus, come and see for yourself. And so Peter rushes over, Simon rushes over to meet uh, Jesus, 
And Jesus uh, sees him and before he rolls, actually Simon probably doesn't even know Jesus other than he's heard that he's this guy in the neighborhood. Andrew, Simon's Peter, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what Jesus had, John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. Then he brought Simon to Jesus who looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. As soon as Jesus saw Peter, Simon, he saw what he would become. When you and I come before God and we, we come to Jesus, the first thing, actually, he wants to say is, this is what I, this is what I dream for you. What Satan does, we, we, we are all kept away from Jesus because we're terrified he's going to say, oh, I wanted to talk to you. I'm mad with you. And I'm afraid I've got some bad news for you and that is nobody else can do that for you. You have to go, you have to, go to Jesus yourself. And you have to say, here I am. Now, Andrew took Jesus. And I think there's a clue there and that is um, we need to help one another get there. But we can't do it for somebody. And we can't protect each other from having to deal with our fears or our nervousness or our insecurities. We have to walk alongside and say, Jesus, here's John. And if we don't do that, we won't hear. We'll just hear our fears. And we'll hear all, our, all the things we project onto God. Which is why I used to, and still ask people, tell me about the God you don't believe in. Tell me about the God you're afraid of. Tell me about the God you're disillusioned with. Most of the time, it's our distortions that have got in the way. So Peter had to, came and saw Jesus, and I don't think actually, I mean, I think this is interesting, because there's probably the impression that uh, Peter was, Simon, I keep getting these words, Simon was... Um, working in his fishing boat and Jesus came up and said, follow me and it was out of the blue and he had never heard of Jesus before and he just said, yes sir, and followed like some idiot. Well, he didn't. Very unlikely. I've walked around that area, spent a wonderful day in that area on the sh shores of uh, Galilee and you can walk from Capernaum to where Jesus, where the fishing was, it's about, it's about half an hour walk and there's no question, if Jesus was in the region, everybody would have known about it and and it's highly likely that Simon had been introduced to Jesus. They hung around for a while. And then came the moment when Simon uh, went working on his boat in his business as usual. And Jesus comes up and says, follow me. And he has a choice at that point. There's obviously something going on in Simon. There's obviously a point as he, had, he must have had that conversation that says there's something in this man that is intriguing. It's more intriguing than my fishing boat. And the fishing's not doing it for me. Something was there. And I doubt very much if it was all complete. It was a stirring enough for him to say, I'm going to take this risk. You and I, uh, in terms of listening to God, have choices we make that are tangible choices, they're real choices. And they need to, they, there's another aspect, there's no threat in this at all, but there's nothing private in any of what we're talking about this morning. Jericho Road is a very public place. We will never have, close your eyes and raise your hand. It'll be stand up. 
Let everybody see. It's not about humiliation. It's about having the guts to stand up and say, I need, or minister to me, or help. Because one of the reasons why we are so crippled is because we're so private, which just means proud. So if we're going to build muscle, and if we're going to grow, and we're going to grow up, we've got to be humble, we've got to have experiences of God, and we've got to actually be willing to get out of our seat and move with him and discover. And that's what, that's what Peter did. Hearing starts with a relationship and hearing God starts with a relationship that involves people with skin on them. And so Simon Peter responded. And what happens after he starts? I mean, you know... Uh, Jesus came and they were working on their nets and, and they left their nets and they followed. And I, we haven't got time to go through each passage, so I'm just going to highlight them. So Simon responds and he follows. And one of the first things Jesus does is go to, uh, or very early on, he goes to Simon Peter's home and his mother-in-law is ill and Jesus heals his mother-in-law. That probably impacted Simon Peter. He saw God working in Jesus in a way that impacted somebody's life as well as the stirrings that were going on in him. He experienced the power of God. He then, let's back off one thing. Peter did say to Jesus, my mother-in-law is ill. He said that in front of everybody because he saw Jesus doing stuff with other people. And then he probably, because his wife might have been harassing him a bit, he said, you better deal with mother-in-law, please. So, we won't go into any jokes on mother-in-laws. He then, in Matthew 8, he walks, there's a storm on the lake. Remember the storm on the lake? The disciples go across the lake and everyone's frightened. And they're saying, Jesus, why don't you care? And Jesus is sleeping. And he's modeling to them a total trust in his father. Saying, this isn't a storm to worry about. This is a storm to go through. They woke him up and Jesus said, be still. And he said, why do you doubt? And he's teaching them through real life to chill out and trust God. So guess what? You and I are not going to hear God sitting watching TV programs or televangelists or sitting in church. We need the experience. Where are you going to get the experience of God with you in a storm? In a storm. How is God going to enable us to know that he is everywhere and he is in everything and he has something to say anywhere and in everything? And there's another thing to underline and that is that uh, that driver's seat, God doesn't relinquish. You might supersede him and just take over but he never says that's okay. So there's no such thing in, in God's world, in the kingdom of God as my private life, my leisure life, my family life, my church life, my business life. It's a total lie. It's a joke. Life is life, period. It all belongs to him, period. We can play games, but you remember what God said when he had that banquet and he invited people and they said, well, I've got a cow 
and I've got a business, I've got this and I've got that. So he said, okay, I'll invite other people. It's all his. And if you want to grow in the Christian life, it's about laying it down and discovering what it's like for him to have it all. It's much easier to say it than to do it. But doing it is the only way to actually find out the truth of it. And in doing it, you find out what a battle there is inside you for who is God. And that's how you find humility, because it's easy to access humility. Just start following Jesus, and you'll find how, how much of you resist that, and how much you need his help to do that. And that's what, this, that's what Peter was learning by listening to Jesus, by watching. And the way he began to hear God speaking through Jesus was... They spent a lot of time together. He was aware of Jesus and he was with Jesus day and night for many, many days and nights. Visiting Jesus at church is like visiting somebody in a hospital. It's not going to do anything. It'll sort of comfort you, but it won't do anything. It has no power. This isn't a relationship. This is a sort of time to be encouraged and maybe to worship together. That's important, but it's not going to change your life. It's about what happens between now and every single day, isn't it? I'm not telling you anything new. You know all this stuff. I came to bring you good news of great joy. After the, uh, the storm on the lake, there was uh, the, the very traumatic time when, uh, John, when, when, when John the Baptist was killed. He was beheaded. And Jesus had grown up with John. They were cousins. And he was told about it. And Jesus, it's one of the, a moving sort of passage in, in Matthew 14 where we just read that uh, Jesus withdrew. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Now you could use that phrase if, you, if one was taking a funeral, you know, and say if Jesus' cousin was killed how can we expect not to have suffering in our lives? God has never promised us no suffering. That's why Jesus came, to be with us in the midst of a broken, screwed up world. Heaven on earth is found in God's presence in us, but we could be killed. It's not about circumstances. It's about living from the inside out. And we can't live from the inside out without having God living inside and working out His purposes in us. We can't get there rationally. It's about a heart relationship with the living God. And so these disciples watched Jesus grieving and they watched Him even in His grief He was pursued by people who had their own needs and who said to Him with your needs I've got an issue. And within a few hours, Jesus was responding to the needs of people around him and healing the sick and all the rest of it. In Matthew 14, we read that. And Jesus is still so aware of their needs that he says when they were hungry, he says, they don't need to go away, you give them something to eat. The disciples said to Jesus, they need to go and get food, and Jesus says, you feed them. And what did he expose there? He said, you know, you can't push away what I want to do through you. But they spent a lot of time not knowing how he wanted to work through them. They had to learn that. 
And so you see this juxtaposition in life actually of the, of the disciples coming from a normal, typically predictable background and Jesus coming from his supernatural background and saying, well, we'll feed them, well, my father will supply. And then they did the feeding of the 5,000. We don't have time for that. Later in that day, they, uh, Jesus tells them to go across the lake and uh, that's when uh, he went into the hills to pray, probably to just catch up with his father about John. And then he walks out to them on the water. And all the disciples again are afraid. And it's Peter who says, uh, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And he says, come. And Peter gets out and he walks on the water. Peter had the courage to take the opportunities. And sometimes he was just a fool and other times his foolishness really paid off big time. This time it almost did. He got out of the boat. He walked with Jesus on the water. And then he went, what the heck am I doing? And he started sinking and he was terrified. And Jesus takes hold of him and they go back to the boat. You don't know how they go back, but he drags him through the water and says, you idiot. Or he just plays with him, probably plays with him. The other disciples are sitting in the boat and you hear what Matthew says. They get in the boat. Uh, immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught him, you of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And I don't think he was being angry. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down and those who were in the boat worshipped him. I'm sure they did. You know, the ones who were too chicken to get out, oh, praise you God, you're so faithful. But what had happened? They never got to experience something like that. They just watched. And for the rest of their lives, I bet you, Peter said, well, I walked on water. You didn't. As Graham Cooper said, sucks to be you right now. But um, it's that whole thing of relationship. Peter had a relationship with Jesus that was building. He took action. He said, I want to be part of this. He experienced something. And the humility was it didn't last very long because his humanity kicked in and he suddenly realized he wasn't quite as cool as he thought he was on the waves. But he had learned something. What are you and I learning? In listening to God, do we, do we think for one moment that hanging out with God is going to be boring and do you think it's going to be all about feeling good and staying in a comfort zone? Some, some of us have built our houses in comfort zones. And Jesus is just standing at the gate and knocking and he says, I'm not coming into your comfort zone anymore. So you either come out or I guess that'll be it. You'll just, we'll just have this rather distant relationship. And you won't be happy with it. You'll be somewhat defensive and you'll kind of do your duty and it'll be boring for you and it'll be boring for me. But that's your choice. Where do we go to with Peter after that? Jesus asked Peter, what do, who, do, who do people say? He asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they say, John the Baptist, Elijah. And then Peter says, but you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he says, upon that rock I will build my church. The rock of your statement, I am the Christ. So Jesus, Peter looks pretty good, he got it right. Then Jesus says, almost straight away, he says, by the way, I'm going to die. And Peter says, no way. I don't like that. That wasn't what the part of the plan was. I didn't sign up for that. I like giving out bread from the bakery. 
I like the miracles. I like the healings. Uh, the cross, no, thank you. I think there's a better way. Let's negotiate this. But what he heard from God freaked him out. God will challenge our agendas. He will challenge what we hold dear. He will challenge our way of doing things. And if we're not prepared to be challenged, then basically we're in the driver's seat and God is really not God, is he? We are God. Because God can really only do what we let him do. And you know what that makes him, don't you? It makes him an idol created in our own image. He's a God who's powerless. He's a projection of our needs and wants and he's nothing to do with Jesus. You can call him Jesus, you can dress him up, but he'll be powerless. And the people around you won't be that impressed either because they can smell fakes. So, Peter had a problem with Jesus talking about death, which is, not under, which is pretty understandable. Then we've got to rush on. In Matthew 17, they go to the top of a mountain. This is very cool. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led him up to a high mountain. This is Matthew 17. I'm speeding up because I'm running out of time. And there he was transfigured. Jesus was transfigured before them. And his clothes became as white, his face shone like the sun, his clothes became as white as the light, and just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. These are the head hunters. I mean, these are the most important people in the whole of history for Peter, James, and John. So, what does Peter say? Can I build a shelter for you guys? Why would angelic beings need shelters? He's so nervous, and he's so out of his depth, he comes up with something that he's secure with, I can build something. Have you ever heard that from yourself? Well, this, I can do this. And God's actually saying, I'd like you to do this, but this is going to take a little bit more and you're not comfortable with this. Oh, I, I'm just a helper. I'm just behind the scenes. I do things. I build. And God will say, you know what you're hiding. Whatever it is you think you do, that's cool. But it might be about as inappropriate and... and as, as Peter trying to build shelters for Elijah and Moses on the mountain. And guess what happens? Peter says, uh, well, there are two things he says. Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. This is cool. Let's just stay here in our holy huddle on the top of the mountain. And I'm one of the boys. I'm with Elijah and Moses. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And what happens? He's, uh, you know, if you wish, I'll put up three shelters. He sounds so compliant. He sounds so helpful. He's actually terrified. And you know what? Have you ever seen this before? While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. That's a polite way of God the Father saying, Peter, shut up. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. I wonder how often we're meeting with God, making suggestions like building shelters, and he's saying, be quiet. This is my son. Listen to him. But listening takes some time. It takes some dialing down. It takes some getting to know Jesus. It's a whole lot easier to pretend I know what God is like and then just do what I think he wants. And basically, I run the show. 
and in our culture we, very, we respect each other for our spirituality. Irrelevant, it doesn't really matter what it looks like. But there's this humorous encounter where Peter hears something and God is very gentle with him. He just says, listen to my son. And they don't tease him about the shelter. Well, they don't put it in scripture anyway. They might well have had a little chat on the way down. What is this about shelters, Peter? And you can walk on water, but when you get to the top of a mountain, are you ever a jerk? <laughs> Must be the altitude. Then you have that experience where Peter comes up to uh, Jesus. And again, he sounds so good. He says, how many times, in Matthew, Matthew 18, verse 21, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven? And you can see Peter smiling. Hey, that's good, isn't it? Seven times I'm going to forgive him. And Jesus says, well, 70 times seven. What? Well, he says, well, Peter, forgiveness on your scale is really quite pathetic. It's not very revolutionary. Because I'm about transforming your life, not just changing a few things. God goes much deeper. When he speaks, he goes much deeper than, than, than our words that tends to manage the organization of our lives. God's about transforming our hearts. So he's building a relationship with Peter and he's enduring the nonsensical interactions with him as he does with us because he's actually trying to say, Peter, you are deeply loved by me and nothing you do, and nothing you ask and no idiotic behavior of yours will actually cause me to reject you. Peter's listening on two levels. The one he's watching, he's listening the words and the responses to his own actions. The other one, Jesus is speaking to him in his heart in a much deeper level that he's not going to hear right now. And so Jesus says, the forgiveness is limitless. We go to the Last Supper where Jesus is preparing for his death and he says, you'll betray me. And Peter says twice to Jesus, insistently, I will not. I will not betray you. And that's when Jesus says, you know, when the cock crows three times, you will you, when the cock crows, you'll betray me three times. Before, Jesus, before Peter betrays Jesus, they're in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus says, can you pray with me? For an, and they fall asleep. And Jesus walks over to them and says, can't you even watch for one hour? These guys, I mean, they're so full of their own attitude. You know, of course, we're, we're here for you, Jesus. Just hang out there and pray for an hour. Fall asleep. No discipline, no perseverance. So Jesus just says, he notes it. Then Jesus is led away. Peter tries to defend him again. He cuts off somebody's ear and Jesus has to heal the guy on his way to his own crucifixion. How cool is that? I would have gone, oops, Dad, sorry about that. Hard luck, guy. But he doesn't. He picks the ear up, sticks it back on and says, be healed. He says to Peter, put your sword away. It's not like that. Yet again, after three years, you still don't get it. But what's happening is Peter's having relationship, action, experience and finding humility. Lots of humility. But not humiliation. Humility that's realizing more and more that his ways are not God's ways and he's learning that and experiencing that through the, through the crucifixion they all run away, the cock crows, 
through the empty tomb where they discover, goodness me, he's risen. Whatever that means, they go to Galilee and there Jesus meets them and Peter hears the words, feed my sheep. And even then, just as they're finishing that conversation, he says, what about John? And he says, leave John alone. It's about you that I'm talking right now. And one of the things we have to learn with conversations with God is not what about. I'm not negotiating with you. God so much wants to meet with you and just say, I want to meet with you, period. Not about what you do, it's about who you are. After Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, um, or just after the crucifixion, you have Judas as well running away and he kills himself. Deeply, deeply traumatic time for those guys. Probably a close friend who couldn't take it and he kills himself. Lots going on in this hearing of God. And I think we need to, to learn that, that you know, God, wants us to find him to be trustworthy irrespective of the circumstances we're in. And how are we going to develop that if we don't give him any place for us to experience that in our daily lives? They go in Acts chapter grief. I've been going far too long. Sorry. I'm winding up. I just want to say this. In Acts, they, they, uh, they've got to replace one of the disciples because Judas has just died. And they go, let's draw lots. Well, you know what they're doing. They're preempting God. There's a very strong case for Saul was meant to be the guy to replace Judas, Saul of Tarsus. But they did what they were used to doing. Well, we've got to fill this blank and we'll do it this way. And God sort of will bless it anyway. He does. He's gracious. But the chances are that after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit had been poured out, God was going to say, wait, I've got somebody who's totally, totally not what you're going to expect but I've still got to get him converted. And then he's going to actually be a, a, an apostle and a disciple and he's going to be the cornerstone of scripture for the whole of time. Way beyond their reference point. And you think, I think you have there the contrast of let's draw lots and do what we're used to and God's saying my ways are much, much more radical than yours. And it's out of all of that background that, Jesus, that, that Peter has his vision about uncleanness and God then challenging him on his racial issues and his Jewish pride and, and saying everybody's welcome. But it took all of that to help him hear another core issue he needed to deal with. So, what are we saying? Very simple really. You've got to start somewhere. And if you want to start listening to God and hearing God for yourself, you've got to start with a relationship with Jesus. You've got to be prepared to get up off your seat. You've got to be prepared to give him everything. But you know, don't try and give him everything. Just hang out with him and he'll gradually loosen it. Start with Jesus. Don't start with all the things you think he's going to do because he's much nicer than you or I. And he'll lead us into that. He didn't say to, to, to Peter when he first met him with Andrew, uh, you've got some Jewish prejudice issues with the Gentiles. And you need to deal with that and then you can follow me. That's what we do to one another. Don't we? Yes. Yeah. So, he says, build relationship with me and then the rest will follow. I will melt those things out. 
for you. So this is what it is then. Because um, we're so out of time. It's really just this thing again, which is... Oh, it's off. Is it all switched off? Oh, there we go. Blessed are you, are those who strengthen as you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. That's what I believe God's saying to this church. It's not the status quo. It's not the same as usual. It is about an encouragement and an exhorting of each one of us to take up responsibility for our own spiritual growth. And it starts with saying, get to know and have a relationship with Jesus. Um, you know, I would love to have a bunch of people come up and say, we want to work on that relationship with Jesus and let's have a group for, for, for six weeks over the summer. I'd love for, for people to say, um, I've got a friend who really you know, is open to it, we just need a place for them to learn. And I say, I'll do, I'll do a group. All I'm not doing is I'm not going to initiate it. The only way we're going to grow is by doing what Andrew did, bringing other people to Jesus. And if you really want to grow, do that and see what happens. They ask questions, you have to find out the answers and it's cool. So let's go fishing. There we are. Father, thank you that you desire to speak. Thank you for the way we can learn through Peter about engaging with you. And you have things to say to each one of us. You delight in each one of us. But we're so easily distracted. We're so easily uh, distracted by what goes on around us that we ignore your invitation so much. And we just pray, therefore, for one another this morning uh, that wherever we are in our walk with you, that you would help us to hear you for the next step. And that if it's getting out of a boat, we'll get out of the boat. If it's... uh, Going to a mountaintop or go to a mountaintop. If it's realizing that some of our suggestions have been somewhat foolish, then help us realize that. But we just pray that uh, you would excite us, encourage us, and lead us on in our walk with you. That we would experience you, Jesus, as we build our relationship with you. May your Holy Spirit do in us and among us uh, what we can't do ourselves. In your name, Lord, we pray. Amen.